Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mango Talks TV. I am Lee. I am here. I am joined by Spencer Spencer. Say hey, people. Hey, everybody. Spencer, we are, I'm going to say, hitting the, the, the meat of season two of Mandalorian. We are on chapter 11 titled The Harris. What did you think? Uh, I think this episode proves more than I was really expecting how different season two is going to be to season one of where season one we even specifically commented on was almost purposely trying to avoid established characters other than Tatooine established planets. It's trying to find its own niche in the lore without having to necessarily either ride the coattails or work within the boundaries of existing mainline characters and existing mainline stories. Season two has decided that it's confident going a different direction, as this episode really heavily starts to establish. A hundred percent. Yeah, and, and this this episode in particular is um, you probably need like you know one of the things I pitch with Mandalorian with people is like you don't need another Star Wars universe to enjoy it. That is still true, but mm-hmm. if you know some of the expanded universe you are going to get a lot of warm and fuzzies from this episode, which I did, which I cannot wait to get to and talk about. But that you're starting to see a split in like, okay, you're if you don't really know the expanded universe, you're probably getting 60% of the enjoyment that you could get from this episode. Very much so. I mean, Bridget watched it with me, my girlfriend, and she very much enjoyed the episode. She very much enjoyed aspects of it. But in the end, we did a debrief, and I pointed out all the little bits of hints in the lore and all the little connections that were coming in. And you could practically fill a book with it. So it can very much be enjoyed in its face. But if you have a foundational knowledge of Star Wars or are willing to do a little bit of legwork to catch up, there's just that much more to appreciate. Which makes doing this podcast all the more enjoyable because we can dig into all of those little nuggets, all those little Easter eggs. And we plan to do so here with our coverage of Chapter 11, The Heiress. Before we get going, Spencer, you do another little podcast called Mangum Reads. What you guys uh, got going on? We are still hammering through the Forward Collection uh, from Amazon Prime, a collection of six different short stories by modern science fiction writers, which have been quite delightful to go through. Once we finish this off, we're planning on going to a different genre than we've done before in terms of exploring thrillers and mysteries, and they got Agatha Christie Awards for this year, which will be quite a bit of fun, and we hope hope our listeners will join us for it. Check out Mangum Reads, check out Mangum Talks, Mangum, Mangum Laughs with me and BJ. And then uh, we're going to have a new episode of Mangum Talks Hoops with me and my buddy Levi soon. We talked the NBA. We're going to be talking everything free agency. I don't know how much crossover there really is with Mangum Talks TV and a basketball podcast, but there it is for you, folks. If you're interested, go check it out. So we're going to start with the recap, which I will do. Then we'll jump into our segments with best line of the episode. I alone am emperor best line of the episode. I will award it. I already know what it's going to be. Spencer, you can give me you can give me all of your uh, nominations if you want. God bless you for doing so. I already know what it's going to be. Then we cut to a segment that Spencer does, which is nostalgic moment of the episode. Uh, Spencer, feel free to go on a full hour if you'd like to, because uh, there's an awful lot here for that uh, segment. There is... But I think we have to end where the episode did on a pretty clear winner. We'll find out, though. All right, let's start with a recap. We start with Mando flying the Razor's Crest very, very slowly. Um, <laughs> if you remember, he crash-landed on the ice planet, and he had spiders attack his ship and puncture the hull in multiple places. Uh, so. Say it correctly. Ice spiders as big as hounds. This is ice the established spiders, name of the species. Ice spiders 
big as hounds there attacked go. him. Got the X-Wing and a, um, uh, or sorry, there was also one that was as big as an X-Wing, uh, but he had some some help in busting out of there. But he still has a very, very busted up ship. So he's going very, very slowly. Baby Yoda's asleep. Frog Lady is still clutching those eggs. So to your point in the last <laughs> podcast where you referenced that maybe Frog Lady knows that Baby Yoda's not the best person to keep around her eggs. She is clutching them, keeping them away from Baby Yoda. And Mando's also sleeping. Mando gets a notification on his navigation screen. They are closing in on a planet. This planet, if you remember from the last episode, is Trask on the system of the gas giant Kol-Ibon. Well done. You have notes. <laughs> Mando explains the landing's going to be a little choppy, folks. Uh, a little understatement there. Because of the damage he sustained running away from the ice spiders, big as hounds. And great scene here of the crest descending into Trask with all of that heat radiating off the ship. Spencer, did you think there was, did you, for a moment, did the effects make you think, oh shit, maybe that ship's going to start to break apart? I mean, I was worried enough when the ship was limping onto screen as it was arriving in orbit over this forest, over this ocean moon. Once it's actually trying to make, a, you know, a flexibly referred to as controlled descent down to the landing pad, there are bits of it flying off. This is practically a ship in name only at this point. It is essentially a meteor. And you can really tell, listening to the flight controller report in about how the ship is coming down, that they're quite worried that this may either be an accident waiting to happen or a potential terrorist attack, because there's no way this thing could successfully land. Yep. So I, I had the thought that it was might make break up a little bit. Obviously, I didn't think it was going to like explode or anything, but I thought he was going to have maybe a little bit more damage than, than he ended up having by the time, <clears throat> excuse me, he um, he got down. But before he actually got down onto the planet, he asked Frog Lady to help. Frog Lady, being the good people that she is, mm-hmm. does in fact help, but she has to leave her eggs on the seat, which made me very, very nervous. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was expecting a fair amount of disaster at the beginning of this episode in a variety of ways. And so it was a nice little change up when to see that, no, we're fine. Oh, wait, shit, water. Mando ends up landing on a landing pad and a Mon Calamari mechanic. Oh, we start with some uh, nostalgic. The lore begins. <laughs> we start with a nostalgic moment. That is a Mon Calamari species aptly named because it looks like a shrimp this is the species of the very famous Archer trap uh admiral akbar of new hope fame and the ship man he's a ship that the, the mon calamari mechanic is there and it looks like a ship manager is there um or no sorry it's a mon calamari he's either a mechanic or a ship manager i can't tell but he look does look to be somewhat in charge of this landing pad it's certainly a mix of the two. And what might correction? Return of the Jedi for um, Admiral Akbar. Um, but he clearly is the guy. But he's in A New Hope too, right? No, actually, he is not. Uh, he is in Rogue. Uh, there is a Mon Calamari in Rogue One that is serving a similar role, but he does not appear in, in A New Hope. Are you sure about that? Uh, we, we can bet money and fight on it here in a bit. But okay. for right now, right, uh, I agree. up while you talk. Uh, but right now, he is indeed coordinating the pad, and he is staring up at Mando's ship, just waiting for the debris cleanup job he's going to have once this thing comes down. Um, but instead, Mando, with aid of Frog Lady, by sheer ability and no small amount of, you know, probably force-guided luck, is able to make the landing on this pad, has just enough time to say, here we go, nice and easy, to have the thing immediately lose its land- it lose one of its landing arms and just pitch into the water. Yep. 
that is exactly what it does. And you are exactly right. Admiral Ackbar does not appear until Return of the Jedi. He is in some of the Legends movies, and he's also in Rogue One, as you mentioned. But yeah, back to the recap. Mando is... Um, you see how quickly I moved on because I was wrong? That kind of pissed me off a little bit. This is what I'm here for. Yeah, see how I moved on? Things yeah, I'm a little irked. Okay, I'm going to try to get it back on. <laughs> back between the rails. <laughs> I offer humility, sir. This is what I do. Ah, it pisses me off. Um, and uh, so they lift the ship out of the... They had a, had a pretty cool tool and do, to do that. Um, I believe it looked, it's like a modified AT-AT? It looked like a repurposed AT-AT. It really did. And yeah. it, it, it is able to haul what is now a thoroughly waterlogged and seaweed and sea life encrusted vessel out of, a, out of the drink. Yeah, Mando asks this Mon Calamari to fix his ship, and he pays him. Spencer, I'm still so confused where the hell Mando is getting all these credits. Where, where did this money come from? It is never explained, and it is getting egregious. Because the man was flat broke for most of season one. He was barely limping by. He was doing jobs to afford repairs, because he didn't have the existing money. Now, he's just dropping, what's it, a thousand credits that he offers this guy to fix his ship? Just yeah, like, that we find out later, it's him. a thousand credits. Unbelievable. And, um, yeah, I don't know heard, where he gets the credits. He already dropped like 500 or 600 last episode, too. The man's what a just, poker game. <laughs> the man's just flinging out cash. I mean, I'm guessing. I'm guessing Apollo Creed gave him a hell of a signing bonus for his rejoining the guild. That's my guess. Because he hasn't done anything else that we've seen. Yeah, I don't know. I have no idea where Mando gets his money. That is probably one of the questions that I would ask John Favreau if I met him, and I'm sure John Favreau would say, "Really, that's the question?" But I, yes, it would be the question. Um, <laughs> Frog Lady on the port sees Frog Man, and what a glorious reunion it is, Spencer. Warm and fuzzies all the way around. Doves fly. The skies open. The sun shine down, and all is right with the world. Sprinting across, giving each other a hug, touching their eggs together for the first time. It's a magical moment that Mando can only kind of stare a little bit awkwardly at. His, his passenger has found her home. Man, I've, I took it. I mean, I'm, I'm reading um, emotion into the the face of a you know a shield, but it looked like he was a little bit like oh you know like like feeling good for Frog Lady. He was he was watching a little bit longer than I was expecting to. His body language seemed like he was happy for. I, I agree. I think this is the. He appreciated that she was happy, though it's not the kind of personal emotional connection that we've really ever seen Mando have. Baby Yoda looks up at Mando, and Mando acknowledges, finally, that Baby Yoda is hungry. Thank you, Mando, for finally getting (laughs) the fucking memo on that one. And he promises to get him something to eat. Mando asks Frogman where he can find more Mandalorians, and Frogman points off in the distance, and Mando follows him. And it appears the first place they arrive at is kind of a mixed bar restaurant-y thing, I guess. It's like a pub. Yeah. Surf seafood. Seemingly it, pretty fresh yeah. seafood. Well, yeah. It, they walk into a pub um, with fresh seafood. Yeah, we'll get to that. That has a really cool soup dispenser. I love the soup dispenser in this place. I would like if I went to a restaurant that had that kind of overhead, pull a lever, your food comes out kind of dispenser. It seems fun. Uh, that all, yeah, that also seems to like align with like how you view food. I'll just, <laughs> I like, just give it of... to me, give me fuel, I'm ready to go. <laughs> I would like paste for my gullet, please. How can I most efficiently be provided that? Whereas like some of our other friends, our buddy BJ, who does the, the Mangum Reads podcast with you and Mangum Laughs with me, would probably cringe at such an idea of a soup dispenser that drops from the ceiling and just pours nondescript chowder into your bowl. 
though apparently, I think even he would approve, remarkably fresh chowder. This is chowder clearly made right off the boat. <laughs> yeah, right off, the, right off the boat, right out of the sea, because um, he orders the bowl of chowder for what he calls his friend, uh, uh, the child, baby Yoda, and the waiter um, initially pushes back and says, hey, dude, you got to order something too. Mando says, look, I'll, I'll give you some money, but I have, um, I really only need information. Specifically, he's talking about people that look like him. The waiter says there are others with Beskar um, that have been through there. And I love that answer. Somewhat. Yep, exactly. There are others with Beskar. I don't think this guy fucking knows Mandal- Mandalorians from a hole in the wall. I think he does know Beskar steel because of how um, just very valuable it is in the universe. We've gotten many um, examples and proof in the canon of how valuable Beskar is, and we get a, a real big one here in a minute. Yeah, I, to even a certain degree, I'm kind of playing catch up with Beskar because Beskar's been around. Well, Mandalorian Iron, as it used to be called back in the Legends, has been around a while. I think it's been named Beskar for like you know a decade or two. But the properties that it's starting to be assigned more recently, particularly that I'm not seeing on the show are getting downright mythical. This stuff has become the mithril of the Star Wars universe in terms of how valuable and how useful it is, as this episode shows in several ways. Yep. Uh, I guess um, the waiter approaches another table. He starts talking about Mando. Presumably he's getting somebody who can help him find other people with Beskar. Baby Yoda tries to eat the soup, but a live live octopus jumps up (laughs) uh, right on his face. Uh, causing Baby Yoda to freak out in an extremely cute oh, way. Adorable little um, yeah, <laughs> the little baby freak out with like completely like not arms too short to even grab it off of his face. Mando says, "Don't play with your food," and knifes the octopus. <laughs> play with your food. Not a very fair criticism of Baby Yoda there. I don't think he was trying to play with his food. Um, Quarren walks over. This is a um, alien species where the face looks like a squid. Uh, notably also a native to the Mon Calamari homeworld, Mon Calamari. Uh, so it's very clear that the, seemingly the majority of the residents of this ocean moon are residents from the ocean planet of Mon Calamari, which perfectly makes sense. Yeah, and it, I, I would imagine that these are these species are a little bit like Jawas in the sense that like Jawas in the canon known known for being on Tatooine, but it's clear that like Jawas exist on other planets. I think the same thing for these species. Particularly since these are both very well-known uh, space-going species, Mon Calamari in particular, majority of those famous pickle bulbous ships that we saw in Return of the Jedi were Mon Calamari vessels. They're ocean-going liners. Uh, they're oh, sorry, space-going liners. Wow, famous for liners. <laughs> uh, they originally were civilian liners, but they originally were then converted into warships. That's why they all look individually a little bit different. So I have no qualms with the idea that they have found every single ocean planet that they can find in the galaxy and have set down roots. Probably. They cut to a ship with the... This is a, a ship that is in the sea. Um, it looks like a some sort of like transport vessel. Um, Fish, and, a fishing yacht of sorts. Yeah, maybe there's a fishing yacht. You've not, so you've given, <laughs> you've given the Mon Calamari... They've got basically ocean liners and of the sky uh, or the space or in space, and now you're saying this is a this is a fishing vessel. Uh, I don't know what the hell this is. It's a pretty beat up thing, but it, it does look like they're doing some level of fishing. It, it looks like something from the deadliest catch that is now that is now operating on this world. You no, know, that's a very good call. Like like in those those shows where they're like 
out there looking for like one prize tuna that will like feed them for six months or something. All those ships always look beat to shit. And yeah. this one certainly does too. <laughs> and it is fully staffed with Corinth when the looks of it. Who, what kind of, me- were you getting the same kind of negative what's yes. wrong with you vibes from these guys like the moment they started talking? Yeah, they, they seem like pricks. Um, right away, not anybody I'd trust. I'm not sure that Mando really trusts them, but he trusts them a little bit more than he should because the Corrin starts asking Mando if he's ever seen a mama core eat. Spencer, have we ever heard of a mama core before? No, I think that name would have stuck with me. That That, that is a new Star Wars term for me. Yeah, and so related to Manticore, maybe? Uh, sure, maybe. <laughs> I think that's, I think what we're meant to um this is supposed to be like so the thing so for the casual fan in return of the jedi when the the whole in the beginning of the movie jabba's whole crew goes out to feed han solo lando calrissian leia and luke to this thing in the sand that just eats people i think this is meant to be the same exact concept it's just something that's in the water that eats people yeah this is the aquatic sarlacc just go with it people that's kind of what i'm yeah draw that parallel um if you've ever seen that movie Uh, if you haven't seen that movie you probably shouldn't be listening to this podcast (laughs) um he's the quarren says the child might be interested and says mando should take a look should get a good view let the kids see hmm Interesting. Mm, mm, the corn mm. drops a load of fish into the cutout in the middle of the ship. Now, question about the the, the mechanics of this, Spencer. I th- here's my impression that there was a cutout in the middle of the ship with a lot of water in it, but that is not connected to the water that they are driving around in. This is like a pool, basically, on this ship. I, I assume that this was the hold of the ship. Yeah, that was holding this thing. I don't know why. We don't spend enough time with these people to find out why they're carrying the aquatic sarlacc in their hold, but it is apparently. Yep. Uh, the Corrin makes small talk and then whoop, knocks Baby Yoda's pod into the water. Gasp! All of us um, into the into the pod, into the water with the Mama Corps. Mando lets out a no, like we all do, um, and the Mama Corps comes up and actually goes to bite and eat baby yoda baby yoda very quick on his feet last i don't know second. if you caught this very last second presses the button to close the container that he's in yep. so yet another example of baby yoda like yes he's a baby yes he does stupid shit like eat frog eggs that he shouldn't be doing but when push comes to shove he does have his wits about because yeah. he is he is able to press that button which probably saved his life yeah, and I think that was a good decision by Favreau to show us, I think it was back in episode one of this season, that Baby Yoda has pretty quick command of that closed door button on his little pod. Yep. Um, because he get he's able to get to that button as the jaws are closing around him. It's that yeah. last second. And I mean, you know, obviously there, there's a rescue garrison that comes in here, but I think Baby Yoda probably would have died if he didn't cover that thing up. So he covers it. So at least we know he's got a few seconds down there in the Mama Corps. Uh, Mando jumps in. Shout out to Mando. He loves Baby Yoda at this point so much. Like, he doesn't even question putting himself in extreme danger to try to save him. They close the gate, and this is when those asshole Quarrens start talking and say, the Veskar is ours. So, here's what I took from that. I don't think that they're after Mando because he's on the outs with the guild. I don't think they give a shit about Baby Yoda. I think all they want is his Veskar steel. Um, exactly with you. And it, it, there was a little hint, and I only knew this because I looked at the uh, transcript of the episode, when that Mon Calamari turned to that corn, you know, to 
talking to him about what Mando needed. Uh, the last thing he points out to the Quarren is he was asking about passage, and he's wearing Beskar. So he was even flagging yep. that to the Quarren early. And yeah, these corn guys, they're clearly, they don't give a damn about Baby Yoda. They've willingly fed Baby Yoda to a Yeah, they just try to kill him right away, yeah. It's the Beskar steal that they're after. Just emphasizing again, as we've seen several times this season, Beskar is worth killing for in terms of how rare and valuable it is. And it's kind of fun to say, but of all the people that have tried to kill Mando so far that we've seen this series, these corn guys with fish hooks get the closest. They get very close. They shut the gate. And they Mando's down there. He switches pretty quickly from trying to get down to the Mama Corps to just trying to get air. Um, and they are using these like um, sticks and prods to push Mando down. And he's clearly, um, you know, between that and the weight of his armor, really struggling to stay afloat to get any air. And then Spencer, is that the Mandalorian's music? Because in from the arrived. sky is three Mandalorians, full jetpack, full Phoenix training. Um, ready to go. Not a not a tarnish on their man on their Beskar armor. By the way, Beskar armor looking fly. They mm -hmm. drop in, <clears throat> kick fucking ass, destroy these Quarrens very quickly. They pull Mando out of the water. Mando explains the Mama Corps has the child. One of them says, "Got it." Jumps in, clearly fuck up the Mama Corps. Comes out with the pod, and Baby Yoda is safe. Woo! And and we did not know it at the time, but we had seen one of these people in the harbor. And the reason we didn't know it is a scene we're going to have next about when Mando starts talking with these sudden arrival Mandalorians. But before we get to that, curious your opinion. If they had not showed up then, is Mando fucked? Because Mando looked pretty fucked. You know, I think that... So, yeah, the answer to that is probably... But I don't. Here's I don't think that Mando was going to be able to get himself out of that situation. It is still unclear what Baby Yoda can do when push comes to shove with his Force powers. I I don't. I would guess that he would not have been able to fix that situation. But I do know that he is casually more powerful with the Force than a lot of trained Jedi. So. I'm not sure what he would have been able to do from the belly of that Mama Corps if things didn't turn out the way they were. I, I don't know. Can it's we clear? What did you think? Well, I I think it, I, I very much agree that the only person that could have saved him that moment outside of you know Mandalorian Deus Ex Machina was Baby Yoda, and it, I think it just firmly demonstrates that Mando could not have helped himself this moment without outside help. He was truly kind of dead to rights. He let his guard down, and these core and fishermen had him by the belt. Yeah, and by the way, that joke I'm doing with the, is that the Mandalorian's music? That's that's a joke from the Binge Mode podcast. Um, but the guy who runs the Binge Mode podcast recently left, left the ringer, therefore abruptly ending the Binge Mode podcast. Therefore, I'm stealing Aww. that joke. I'm calling <laughs> flag in the stand. That joke is now Mangum Talks TV. So, you know, get over it, everybody. That, I'm taking that joke. Um, then we cut to them talking, and Mando looks at the three Mandalorians who came in from the sky, saved the day, and says, I've been searching for more of our kind. They say, well, lucky we found you first. Mm -hmm. So I think that might get to what you were talking about, Spencer, how they were watching him. They, they've been watching him for a while, and one of them, I think Koska Reeves, as we later find about, was specifically staring at him with classic Star Wars cloak across the harbor. And at the time, we probably wouldn't have suspected she was a Mandalorian because I, like a lot of people, thought that they'd kind of rewritten the Mandalorian history that they were always wearing masks out of following ancient Mandalore traditions. 
And suddenly this episode throws that entirely on its head in a way I find glorious. Yeah, it's delightful. Now, do you know what actor plays that that person who was there uh, in the harbor looking at Mando? Uh, I can look her up, but I did not. I don't remember her offhand. She is a professional wrestler named Sasha Banks. You are? I, yes, I got that here. Wow. Yeah, Sasha Banks... Uh, she's incredible. I love Sasha Banks. Um, but further tells me that I need to be making that is that so and so's music because that's really a referencing uh, a reference from uh, from wrestling. Um, I do like that uh, John Favreau is clearly a wrestling fan though. Um, he's got uh, he's casting Sasha Banks. And he also cast um, um, in Cara Dune right. Her her character is an MMA fighter. Yeah, G- so. G- Gina Carano. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, they were they were looking for him first, and that's what I think um, that that line of dialogue. That's an important note. That's an important yep. note right there. And they start talking, and the head lady takes off her helmet. <gasps> I know who that is, but um, we don't know yet. Mando asks where she got the armor. She says, and he's asking this because she took her helmet off. It's to your point, Spencer. We know it's thoroughly documented in this show that Mando thinks that Mandalorians do not take their helmet off ever mm-hmm. under any circumstance. To, to and the if point, they ever do, they're not Mandalorian anymore. To the point that I thought they'd rewritten the canon on this subject because of how much they emphasized it and how important it was to this character. And so to have this moment if we find out, no, sorry, you were just raised in a cult. You were mistaken. Fascinating. Yeah, it's great. Um, she says the armor has been in her family's for three generations. Mando complains that they don't cover their face. One of them says he's one of them. So that's that's what you're referencing, Spencer. We're, we're slowly getting there. She explains that she is Bogatan of Clan Crease. This Spencer is Bogatan. Oh. <laughs> Bogatan character in the legend. She is everywhere that the movies aren't. Basically, she's in legends she's in the animated series both the clone wars and rebels mm-hmm. and she is in new canon and uh, new books she's not been in any of the main films so that's why probably a casual star wars um fan is not aware of her may think she's even a new character that they're introducing but she in fact is not she is bo-katan and i can tell you because i have read books about bo-katan and i've watched the animated series Bo-Katan is a great A, 110% certified badass, and I'm so glad she's in the in the show. And it's, just, again, just further evidence that the show is now confident enough that it has set its own place, it has built up its own characters, it is content now to start going into Star Wars lore proper. It is, it, it is willing to go on the interstate highway of the Star Wars lore and start bringing yes. in major characters. I mean, I'm a Legends fan, and I stopped actively following stuff years back in the past mostly focused back you know like even like early 2000s kind of thing and even i'm very familiar with bo katan did a little bit of like work to, to learn more about her but she is a major character particularly in the new lore and the new canon that's developed for the last decade or so and so it's i was legitimately caught off guard to go like i'm gonna double check that that's you because you're too major of a character to be on this show Brief primer on Bo-Katan. Um, I'll just give a little bit of what I know about her. Bo-Katan um, ruled Mandalore. She is from the ruling family of Mandalore until the Great Purge. She Great. was Mandalore, wasn't she, for a period? Yeah, she, she, she was Yeah, she, she was the she ruler. Bo- she yeah. bore the title. She bore the title of Mandalore. She was the ruler of Mandalore <clears throat> until the Great Purge, um, where she was able to escape, um, but in the Great Purge lost Darksaber. Now, Darksaber is that... 
awesome, awesome weapon that we saw Moff Gideon wield as he emerged from the TIE Fighter wreckage at the end of Season 1. That is the weapon of Mandalore. It is supposed to be the person who is ruling uh, the Mandalorian people, the Mandalorian planet, is supposed to have that. She lost it during the Great Purge. She left. She came back um, when Darth Maul, who spoiler alert survived being cut in half in episode one was on the planet and she battled darth maul she won she took back over mandalore and at some point between the end of the clone wars and the start of rebels she no longer was ruling mandalore um right. and now we are left with we're not sure who really is installed in mandalore who's running the planet but we do know that Bo-Katan is not there, but she is searching for the Dark Saber, which we get to later in the episode. That's your brief primer on Bo-Katan. Spencer, anything I messed up or missed out on? Yeah, the, only thing I, the only thing I would probably clarify is I would say the Great Purge happened after the events with Darth Maul, because I don't think we see it in uh, either Star Wars, Clone Wars, or Star Wars Rebels. And I think that's part of the reason that she is now in seemingly an exile state, traveling with a couple members seemingly of the Night Owl Order and seemingly herself now uh, part of the Order as well. Um, but it seems like from her description and everything else that with the Empire's great purge of Mandalore and utter devastation of the planet and anything resembling a ruling government, that she and what surviving leadership there are have now kind of fled into exile and are now essentially serving as their own kind of rebel alliance to eventually restore a bit of control and, from what she says in this episode, restore her to the throne. And again, just to suggest again how important this is a character of the lore, correct me if I'm wrong. Because I've only, you know, I've only actually read about Star Wars, Clone Wars, and Rebels. I've not actually watched them. But she's a companion of like Obi Wan Kenobi and Anakin Skywalker and Ashoka Tan, right? No. I mean, I mean, didn't, well, she no, has, she's she not. has fought. Um, she she actually done. doesn't get along with us. No, she actually doesn't get along with Ahsoka, and her and Ahsoka are at, at odds uh, during the events of the Clone Wars animated series. They end up palling up in Rebels, um, but they're not gotcha. like. Yeah, they're not like super tight. Now, at the end of Rebels, they're they're locked up together again, and they're locked up at the end of, or at least at some point after the events of Return of the Jedi, and they're 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 together. And we don't know what we don't know. The great mystery here is when they're locked up in the scene at the end of the Rebels television show. Is that before or after the events we're seeing here? We know that it's after the fall of the Empire and the Battle of Endor. We just don't know if it's before or after the events we're seeing in this show. But anyway, I think that will get clarified in the timeline, either through a book or either through the events of the show. But that's the... That, I know we probably got way, way deeper than most people want to know, but that is Bo-Katan. And Bo-Katan has a lot of support among whatever Mandalorians are left to rule the Mandalorian people like she she's not like when she's saying like you know I'm gonna rule I'm gonna rule Mandalore she's not like she's not like some like rebel or like pirate right. or something like she has standing in that community right. and she has ruled Mandalore multiple points I mean, she's pretty much like a government in exile it's like you know the Nazis have taken over Czechoslovakia and the government is still fighting a la the, the UK that's kind of the role that she's in she has legitimacy she just needs a bait she just needs the hardware necessary to bring it about Okay, so I will. So, one thing that you clarified, I think we need to go back just to make sure everything is perfectly clear here. So, um, there was a siege of Mandalore fought at the end of the Clone Wars that disposed the renegade um, Sith Lord Dark Maul, uh, Darth Maul, who was at that point not 
um, not involved with the emperor. He actually was at odds with the emperor. He was kind of off on his own, had his own, own crew. Um, the galactic empire then came in, uh, installed Republic military forces. Bo-Katan refused to obey Imperial rule and they moved her out of her leadership position and installed someone else. The people in Mandalore continued to undermine military rule, and then you had the Great Purge. So that's kind gotcha. of the timeline of events. Okay. All right. So back to the recap. Uh, Bo-Katan explains that um, she was born on Mandalore, and she's the last of her line. And then she, in a oh, oh, honey, oh, precious type of way, says, Mando, you are a child of the Watch. Bless your little heart. The mm-hmm. child of the watch were a cult of religious zealots, and their goal was to establish, the, reestablish the ancient ways. Mando, Mando has the worst comeback for this I have ever heard. So here's what she says: She says you were a part of a cult, and that cult, the the primary driver for that cult was to reestablish the ancient way. And he goes, "There's only one way: the way of the Mandalore." <laughs> the worst, worst comeback you could come up with. Bo-Katan gives him a knowing look. Mando. Pouts takes his uh, takes his little buddy and flies off. Yeah, it's. I'm, I'm sure it's difficult to find out that you've been spent your entire life raised inside of a cult. I'm, I'm, I imagine that's a bit of a change up you have to go through. But as you said, Mando can be kind of immature when he's conf- when when, when somebody's confronted with something like this. Yep. Um, notice, baby, no, Loda, uh, baby Yoda no longer has his carrier. Uh, the carrier's gone. It was on the ship. That as Mando lands. And the sun is setting in a very beautiful scene. He sees that the Mandalorians blow up. So that that, uh, that ship gets blown up. So the Korans that fucked with Mandal- Mando clearly fucked with the wrong guy. Definitely. <laughs> but apparently they're not done, as we see in our next scene. And Mando back on land gets confronted by a Korin who says Mando killed his brother. More Korans surround. This looks like some sort of alleyway or something. Says, um, you know, you killed my brother. Mando says he needs to pass. It's clear a fight is coming. Not clear who's going to win this fight. I do know that Mando is massively outnumbered, though. So it's not a good situation. Um, he said, the, the Corrin says, you killed my brother. Now I'm going to kill your bet. How dare you, sir? It's not a pet. Not a pet. Really pissed me off there. And is that the Mandalorian's music? Bo-Katan drops in, saving Mando's skin twice in this episode. Says he didn't kill your brother. I did. Bo-Katan turns to Mando and uh, after she kicks everybody's ass and says, can we at least buy you a drink? Yeah. At a certain point, people need to realize that, ch- that challenging Mandalorians, even just one of them, is kind of the ultimate Star Wars suicide. Second, maybe only to Jedi in terms of mo- your, your likelihood of su- your likelihood of immediate failure and death. Probably it's even like, a higher. Um, go ahead. Probably even a higher likelihood of death because the Jedi might just not kill you given their code. <laughs> It's like if you're a wrestling fan, it's like it's like messing with one part of Degeneration X. It's like, yeah, you might get Shawn Michaels in the turnbuckle and you might kick him a few times, but guess who's coming out of the locker room, my friend? More Degeneration X, <laughs> folks. That's exactly what happens with Mando, right? It's like anytime you think you've got Mando by himself, uh, here comes some more Mandalorians. This has happened. And this saved his, absolutely saved him and his life and probably Baby Yoda's life, or at least saved Baby Yoda from going back under uh, control of the Empire uh, in season one. And it's now happened twice in season two. So I, by my tally, Mando's skin has been saved three times by Mandalorians. 
at least. And but now, it, but now at least, now at least, these are Mandalorians that not only are in the saving business, they're also in the I need your help too business. Yep, Bo-Katan explains that they are taking um, the weapons um, that are being like stockpiled in this black market port of Trask and given to the Empire. She wants to take them, not just to take them from the Empire's rule, but also to use them to liberate her planet. Mando says the planet is cursed, that the Empire cursed it. So Mando's all lost in the sauce here. He doesn't know that Mandalorian's not supposed to take their helmets off or can take their helmets off. He thinks there's some sort of curse on the planet. Bo-Katan gives him another little bless your heart moment and says, don't believe everything you hear. Anyway, I thought you were you were trying to jump in there. Sorry. No, I was very much agreeing with you that it is fun to see how far behind the, the uh, eight ball Mando is with respect to this conversation, and even really knowledge of the galaxy is that the it seems like that in his mind, in the mind of these the children of the Watch, is that what they were referred to? Children of the Watch. Yep. They have kind of just turned Mandalore into this mystic, you know, Narnia or Avalon kind of place of where it's just a land of the dead. It's our ancestral home that was forever taken was taken away from us and we can never return. So we must put Mandalore in our hearts and keep it there always. And that seems like how they've just <laughs> built their society and life in a way that he's now realizing he's just entirely made up. Yeah, he and you know he kind of has the understanding of the situation of a child, and you can tell that Bogotan knows that about him Mm -hmm. um he the fact that he was a children of the watch seemed to be disparaged disparaged by the two people who were with bo-katan but not bo-katan herself and that shows her leadership she really treats him with kid gloves with some of the stuff that he's saying um mando says that um freeing the the planet of mandalore and and, and joining her and stalling her as the the leader is not part of his plan. He was quested to return the child to the Jedi. Bo-Katan snaps, what do you know of the Jedi? Mando says, nothing. Very honest moment. I don't know shit. <laughs> hey, lady, nothing. Um, Bo-Katan then softens a little bit and says, she can lead Mando to a Jedi, but first, she needs Mando's help on her mission. And what is the target, sir? What is their plan here to acquire the weapons, that the weapons and resources they need to start the spark that will lead to rebellion? Interesting that you asked the question, Spencer, because outside, Bo-Katan points to an Imperial freighter that had been loaded with weapons. Presumably, they want to fuck up. Mando asks if they can stow away in the ship. Uh, they explain that, well, they've been hitting the, the Imperial elements that are on this planet pretty hard recently. And because of that, the ship now scans for life forms. Mando says they need the element of surprise if it's only going to be the four of them and they're not they can't stow away. Like, because Mando's trying to say, look, we need to surprise them in some way. They say, well, we can't stow away. They're going to scan for life forms. Mando says, well, we need the element of surprise in some capacity. She says, okay, well, here's the plan. Once they hit cruising speed, so they're up in the atmosphere of this planet, we're going to use our jetpacks um, to fly up to meet the ship. Mando asks about the troopers. Very funny moment here. She says they have a squad, but they can't hit the broadside of a bantam, uh, <laughs> which describes the stormtroopers to a T. Thank you, Bo-Katan. Four stormtroopers um, have become such memes now in the Star Wars universe. It's, it's like they totally weren't true. that bad, the original films, but now they've just become just mimetically incompetent. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's the what, Finn, the, the stormtrooper from the... Yeah. The, yeah. Finn wouldn't like this, this disparaging of the, the stormtroopers. <laughs> um, cut back to Mando uh, with the frog lady. 
he comes in, he says, something came up, and he says, can I leave Baby Yoda with you? He says, I need to leave Baby Yoda with you. He doesn't really ask. He's kind of a little pushy. Because at this point, I mean, like, you know, Mando got, you know, Mando's got what he asked for, right? Like, the deal is over. So I don't know why he thinks, like, he can just bombard in there and ask Frog Lady to do something. But Frog Lady, Frog Dad, being the good people that they are, take on Baby Yoda for a little babysitting. Yeah, and little baby Yoda gets to see what happens to the eggs that he doesn't eat, as we get to see the first of their children born. It's true. Uh, but before that happens, Mando tells baby Yoda to respect them and mind your manners. <laughs> mind your manners, baby Yoda. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> We're just wondering. Uh, don't basically don't eat the children. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mando thanks them and takes off. Cut to Baby Yoda looking at those tasty, tasty eggs, but one of them seems to have hatched. And I think Baby Yoda now finally understands huh. that there is a that these aren't just simply food. There is new life to be found here. I didn't think he understood at this point. I thought he might eat one of those little because he's eaten frogs before. I mean, I, I in his mind, as much as I was taken up for Baby Yoda in the last episode for. Basically, just eating your morning omelet with these un, <laughs> unfertilized eggs. Jesus, man! It is true that Baby Yoda has eaten frogs before, so I don't. I think he would, in my mind, anyway. I was thinking he might eat, might eat the children, which would have gotten really, really dark. Cut to the Imperial freighter, uh, freighter taking off. Great action movie music playing here. I don't know if you caught oh, yeah. that. Solid stuff. Really cool. And we see the four Mandalorians fly up to meet the ship. They land on the outside. They kick the shit out of some stormtroopers. They storm inside. Inside the cockpit, the commander indicates that there are pirates. Spencer, take it away on the actor who plays the commander. Uh, commander, I was surprised to see is Titus Welliver continuing a trend of the show of bringing in the entire cast of Deadwood and Sons of Anarchy. We've got Silas from Deadwood, Jimmy from Sons of Anarchy. <laughs> And I'm loving it. He's a great he's a, he's a great actor. He's been in a lot of things. And he does a stellar performance in this role. This episode is a lot of good guest stars. But maybe we'll see again. Not, not in his case. But he does a really good job of bringing out the iron-cold discipline that embodies some of the, some of the, the proper officers of the Empire we've seen before. Yep. Uh, really cool casting. I love the, the sort of like pulling from um, shows we've already seen. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it reminds me a lot of like British shows now, yeah. like like that pull Same from actors. that pull from Game of Thrones, right? Yeah, yeah, we get that a lot. Uh, I'm cu- curious to ask you, just while we're on the subject of casting, Katie Sackhoff playing as um, yeah, Bo-Katan. How do you think she did in the role? Do you have more of a background with the character than I do? Uh, thought she did great, um, but I knew she was going to do great because she is Bo-Katan. She was Bo-Katan in the in the animated series. She was she was the really. Person- yeah, she she voiced Bo-Katan in the animated series. I did not and realize. Really cool. I read an article about this. Uh, John Favreau called the actress to his studio, and she was like, she thought that maybe she would do a little voice acting again for the series, or maybe he was asking her, you know, maybe some of his opinion, her opinion on the character in some way. And he started talking about introducing Bo-Katan into the live-action Mandalorian and, and having her as a character, and turned to her and said, "Is that something you'd be interested in?" And was her name Katie? Um, uh, Katie Sackhoff. Apparently turned and was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, yes, of course. <laughs> of course this character that I have voiced in the Star Wars universe that has is, that is survived the purge of legends that is still canon. Um, you know, I, she she clearly loved voicing the character, so she was excited to play the, the version. She, but to your question, I thought she did a great job. I When she dropped, she... 
is the same voice as the animated character Bo-Katan. It looks the same. It's who I have in my head every time I read a story about Bo-Katan. So I, I, I bought in the first second. Yeah, double checking now. She's been playing this character since 2012. Yeah, it is. I'm not surprised that it is old hat and she slips into the role nicely. Yeah, very good. Inside the ship, some stormtroopers are running up and Bo-Katan comes in and kicks some motherfucking ass. God damn, I love Bo-Katan. Mando is right up there with her, though. He's uh, he's helping out. He's he's one of the bunch at this point. He's, he's contributing and a firefight ensues. Commander asks how many there are. They seem confused. Then the captain says there are only four life forms. But they hear from a dying Imperial, probably stormtrooper or an officer, that they are Mandalorians, which causes a very grim look between yeah. people in the in the cockpit. Kind of a knowing look, too, which makes me think like they know that this group of Mandalorians has been hitting either them or other Imperial uh, forces on the planet of Trask. Um, inside the cockpit, they are talking about how long they have until they can jump to hyperspace. I think the idea here, and Spencer, correct me if I'm wrong, is that they want they really want to jump to hyperspace quick because that will get them to reinforcements who can board the ship and kill these people. Right, which I mean, not only saves their lives, if these guys have been hitting the transports as often as they, by their reaction, they clearly have, if they can keep, keep them confined aboard their ship at the time they join with the rest of the fleet, they are eliminating one hell of a threat. Yeah, and so, you know, because they're talking about jumping to hyperspace and they, they start to plan for it by uh, ascending and, and moving up in the atmosphere so they can get to a point where they can actually go to hyperspace, the Mandalorians are on a clock. They have, yep. a, a, they have a short time to get this mission done. And to get to the point of when they can stop what is now becoming a very accelerated push to orbit, they've got a... I don't know how many stormtroopers are in a squad, but there seems like there's a lot of people aboard this ship, maybe more than they originally were predicting. Way more, because Bogotan told Mando that it was like maybe a squad of stormtroopers, way more than that. Inside the halls, more. By the way, Mando has been lied to about how many Imperial forces will be in a given situation many times in this show. You should not trust anybody when they say, oh, yeah, there'll just be a few stormtroopers going forward. Yeah, between Wisconsin polling and stormtrooper estimates, Mando has a list of things that he just knows not to trust anymore. Just... Uh, inside the halls, more fighting goes on, and the Mandalorians, still kicking some ass, steadily make progress toward the cockpit. An officer with some troops is told they just need to hold them off until they can jump to hyperspace. And he seems like he gets his resolve up. He curls his lip, he pokes his chin out, and he goes, okay, guys, we have to just hold them off until we get to hyperspace. And the Mandalorians appear, start firing, and that guy falls all apart, starts screaming, close the door, close any of them. <laughs> Finally, a door is closed, and he tells the commander with an awful lot of confidence that they have them trapped. The commander says, where? This is the cargo control area. The man commander where? his head and says, where? He says, the cargo control area. Oh. Uh, I mean, wasn't a bad plan. Poor execution. I mean, yeah, exactly. Not a bad plan. Trying to trying to trap them between doors. But they left them at a place where they could just press a button and open a door and fling up. Everybody in that part of the ship uh, out into, into the atmosphere. And, and, and an even bigger threat. They gave Bo-Katan an opportunity to monologue. She proceeds to pick up the receiver and give the captain a bit of her mind. She does. He says, uh, the captain says, uh, a captain or a commander, uh, he says, uh, I'm not sure what his rank is, but he's the one. Lead Imperial the officer. Yeah. Um, ask, uh, are, are you there? Are you there? Do you copy Bo-Katan? Oh, I copy. 
Thanks for picking up all this gear so nicely. Imagine what a Division of Us can do when we get our hands on these shiny little boxes. Now, that may sound a little corny to you, but that does sound exactly like Poketon from the series. She, like, she loves the monologue. She loves the dramatic. Captain says they won't escape with the weapons. Says they will if they happen to get off the ship with some of the weapons, that they'll comb the entire area until they are hunted down and killed. He says this with a lot of confidence and a lot of... Um, uh, a lot of like uh, you know imposing like threat yeah. in his voice. Uh, Bogotan very quickly says, um, "We're not jettisoning the weapons. We're taking the ship." <laughs> Which flinches his resolve briefly fails him for a second. There he goes. Uh. <laughs> this is and a it part of Mando too. Yeah. Shocks Mando, who says, uh, he seems to think that wasn't the plan. Now, to be fair to Bogotan, which I am always going to do. We don't know what she told Mando. That happened off screen. We have reason to believe that maybe she wasn't. She didn't tell Mando that they were taking the ship. I'm not sure of that though. I don't she know she sure. practically gives a Darth. She actually gives a Darth Vader to Lando Calrissian speech right here. For Mando goes, this wasn't part of the deal, and she basically just says, "I've altered the deal. Pray I'm not altering it further. This is the way," and just walks off. Pretty much, she says, "There's something I'm going to do if I'm going to need to rule Mandalore." Uh, or no, it's something I'm going to need if I'm going to roll Mandalore. Something that was taken from her. She seems to think they know where it is. So somebody on the ship might know where it is. Mando says, look, I got to return to the ship, uh, I, with my ship with the foundling. bo says, if you want to know where the Jedi is, you'll help. Mando, you're changing the terms of the deal. Mm-hmm. bo this is the way. <laughs> I love her throwing that line back in his face right here. It's <laughs> just like, let me teach you about the actual ways of the Mandalorian people, my child. And what's interesting is like, we have seen <clears throat> that when the terms of the deal get, <clears throat> excuse me, um, uh, like changed on Mando, he can kind of go, go wild, right? He, he can step outside of the deal. He doesn't choose to do that here. Spencer, why do you think that's the case? You know, I think it's in part because Outside of his immediate, what was it called, covert? Was that the name that they called the particular little cult group that he was with? Yep. He has never met any other Mandalorians, and he's rapidly learning that a lot of what he was told about what he views as his own people is now incorrect. So though he's not happy with this, I don't think he ever he has any inclination of turning on them because he kind of mm-hmm. wants to know more. Also, at the same time, he's on a. Sh- Where else is he going to go? Just dive out. I guess the he back. could just he could just jump. Yeah, he, he, just he could. But yeah. but inside the cockpit, the commander gets on a Zoom call with Moff Gideon and <laughs> explains that explains that pirates are on the ship. Moff Gideon asks if they can neutralize them. The captain says no. They need backup immediately. Gideon, not not the type of guy who gives backup without asking a few questions. Mm-hmm. Wants to know if they're the same pirates that have attacked the other vessels. He says yes. He says, well, how far have they gotten? Commander says, well, they've breached the cargo hold and they've taken everything but the bridge. Moff Gideon, without a moment's hesitation, says, well, if they've taken that much of the ship, backup is no longer an option. You know what to do. Long oh, live the live Empire. The Empire. You know, it's not. It's probably not going to get line of the episode, I bet. But man, is that a powerful line and a powerful moment. If they say and repeat that phrase together and they clearly mean it. Commander shoots the pilots, hops in the pilot chair, and no nose dives the ship. Without hesitation, I mean, just without hesitation, once he's resolved himself that this is my duty, this is my final service to the Empire, he kills the two subordinates of, un- of questionable loyalty and just dives it right for the ocean. 
Yep. The Mandalorians realize that the ship is being nosedived immediately and they push forward. They're pinned down by more stormtroopers and a lot of stormtroopers here. I think Mando was was um, estimating somewhere like 8 to 10. Mm-hmm. And Mando figures out they're not probably going to want to firefight in the amount of time that they have. So he pulls out some grenades. He says, cover me. I don't know how you can cover somebody in that small of a hallway. Jumps into the hallway, pushing forward, taking blaster fire. I don't, I'm watching this and I don't know what's going. I don't know how much of this is getting through. It's scary, obviously, for for Mando. But he gets close enough to throw the grenades at the troopers and that works. I hear you hemming and hawing. I'm pretty sure I know why. Go ahead. This is a very good episode. I like this episode a lot. This scene annoyed me a little bit. Of sure. where Beskar is strong, Beskar is powerful. But even in the first season, we were told that there were limitations to how powerful it was. They could take an indirect blast. They could take a blast from a distance. But that Mando was worried about, you know, concentrated fire or heavy fire. Here we have him say that they've got heavy repeaters. He's getting hit a dozen times at least, probably more as he's making this charge in a way that ultimately kind of seems unnecessary. He just chucks a grenade. So I'm a little bit annoyed that they've kind of made Beskar just utterly magical, it seems, both in the show and kind of the established lore. And I'm a little bit annoyed that this is kind of the plan that they end up going with to solve this problem. But, you know, it, it's a one somewhat weak moment and otherwise a very good episode. Well, <clears throat> it's not it's not consistent with the canon that maybe you and I think about when we think of Beskar, but like it is pretty consistent with what the show is showing you of the metal. Now, the only thing that bothers me is that the Beskar doesn't cover his entire body. I mean, like yeah, it, there's, there's a lot of, issues. yeah, there's joints that he could have got hit on. Apparently he didn't, whatever. He really wasn't in the hallway that long, but I do, I, I, I'm not crazy about the scene. It's a little hokey, but I do like that Mando is able to, in some way, show his uh, heroicism, right? Is right. that the word? Um, he, he's showing his how much um, uh, how much spunk he's got right how much how much integrity how much um, character he's got and how he's willing to lay his body on the line for a mission in front of these folks and it clearly impresses Bo-Katan yeah it's one of the, it's an example of a scene of where I very much appreciate its sentiment and intent I dispute its execution sure they take off of the cockpit they bust in just as it looks like the ship is about to get close to water. Mando jumps in on the cockpit and tries to pull the ship up. Bogatan grabs the commander. Where is it? Does he have it? Have what? The dark saber. Does he have it? There we go. Now we know Bogatan. We know from the events of Clone Wars and then that scene in Rebels where you know the timeline is a little bit disputed. We know that she is on a mission for the Darksaber, presumably to get the Darksaber to return back to the planet of Mandalore to try to rule it. Because she was the previous wielder of Darksaber, was she not? She was until um, the Purge and, and, hmm. and Moff Gideon got it. And the commander says, if you're asking, you already know. So when she says, does he have it? I think she's asking, does Moff Gideon have it? He says, yeah. if you're asking, you already know. Mando was able to pull the ship up just before it hits the water. Good flying by our good buddy Mando. Bo-Katan says she'll let him live, talking to Mando. <laughs> but he will, you will take me to him. You will take me to Moff Gideon. 
Great, great line from the commander here. You might let me live, but he won't. And then he bites down on something that looks electrical in nature. I'm not sure, quite sure what it is. I'm going to kick it to you to speculate here in a second, which kills him. Bo-Katan yells out, no, joining the ranks of famous Star Wars characters to have screamed an impotent no at some point in their life. Spencer, what do you think the commander bit down on to kill himself that quickly? It is some kind of equivalent of the cyanide tooth in our own lore and world. Um it seems like, like you said, it activates an electrical effect that fries his brain and drops him pretty quick. Kills Doesn't seem like it, it. I mean, in terms of ways to die, it seems pretty instant, pretty instant, and pretty effective. And the fact that he has this again says something about Gideon's imperial remnant. That the fact that he has installed in his officers and his troops that kind of exit plan to avoid being taken prisoner just shows the level of fanaticism that's driving at least, I guess, part of the senior leadership. Yep, 100%. Um, then Bogatan asks Mando if he will join them, and he says no. There's something he has to do. Bogatan seems to understand and says, T- uh, take the founding. Here we go. <clears throat> you ready for mm-hmm. it? Say, say it in full. <coughs> this is a hell of an important line. <laughs> take the foundling to the city of Kaladin on the forest planet of Corvus. There you will find Ahsoka Tanu. Tell her you were sent by Bogatan. And thank you. Your bravery will not be forgotten. This is the way. (laughs) Exciting stuff there. Um, The probably, like, so we talked about season one. You can watch. Doesn't really pull in the lore. You can watch it if you're not a Star Wars fan. Um, I happen to be a Star Wars fan, though. And pulling in the lore makes me very, very fucking excited. And referencing Ahsoka Tano giving us the indication that maybe Mando and Baby Yoda will re- will meet up with Ahsoka Tano at some point is super exciting. Also super exciting to even know that Ahsoka is alive because she gets cast out. She, she is wrongly accused, Ahsoka Tano. By the way, let me back up. Ahsoka Tano is the Padawan to Anakin. Yes, you didn't see it in the main movies, but Anakin Skywalker had a Padawan. He does get the 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 rank of Jedi Knight. Mm-hmm. He gets a pad one. It's Ahsoka Tano. She's a young girl. She's awesome. Um, he teaches her a lot. They have a, a very good relationship despite the anger that's in clearly in Anakin. And um, he is, she's a very, very good influence on Anakin. Mm-hmm. Um, more so, I would even speculate, than um, Padme. Because, you know, she is able to steer him in a way that does not inflame his emotions and they have a great relationship but she is wrongly accused of some shit she did not do by the jedi the only jedi who seems to understand that she did not do it is yoda her and yoda have a pretty good relationship but she is cast out from the jedi order she's just out there somewhere so the fact that bo-katan knows that ahsoka tano is left that's exciting because ahsoka is alive also is exciting because it tells me that bo-katan and ahsoka are um still uh, still friendly because there are there is a period as i referenced earlier there's a period in the clone wars where those two did not get along so not only are they friendly um not only is ahsoka tano alive but she's still friendly with bo and we may get ahsoka that's my monologue that's my excitement it's been yeah, yeah and two, two questions for you because you're more I, I know I'm, it's hard to avoid knowing about ahsoka tano just in terms of how popular she's become in the fandom is it fair to say that of the late legends and now canon characters she is probably one of the top five most popular characters that has been created in the Star Wars lore. 
of the characters that have been created in the Star Wars lore that is now More canon, that you did not see, that is now canon, that you did not see in the films, I would say Ahsoka Tano is the number one most popular. Yeah. She has spawned books, comics. I mean, I've got, I'm reading Ahsoka Tano book right now that covers what she did after she was cast out of the Jedi Temple. Um, or the Jedi Order, uh, despite, by the way, still want to sh- point this out. Every single time I reference that she gets cast out from the Jedi, Yoda did not was not down with this. So yes. Yoda did not do this. Uh, but Ahsoka just was cast out. I'm reading a book right now that covers, it's called Ahsoka Tano. It covers some of the stuff that she did immediately after being cast out by the Jedi. But she's alive. But yes, to your point, extremely popular and as excited as the, the nerd star Wars fan got about Bo-Katan and they got triply excited at any reference at Ahsoka time. And from perspective, what role she plays going back to the legends lore, we know of a, a handful at best of Jedi that survived the, that survived the purge of the Jedi order. Yep. Order 66. Yes. In the Canon, she's one of the few we know about, right? I mean, well, I, I, I'm not as I'm not as I'm not as up on the canon, but a lot of the legends characters I'm assuming haven't made it through the canon to be as clearly alive as uh, she most definitely is. So she's technically not a Jedi anymore. So that uh, I, yeah, I would, uh, that I would quibble with Bo-Katan about. Technically not a Jedi anymore. She never really got the rank of Jedi Knight, mm-hmm. um, but she had, she wielded the Force powerfully, and she she knows she knows her stuff. Here's the list, right? Let's go through the list. Who survived Order 66? That we know about in the current canon. Anakin Skywalker. Sh- Obi-Wan <laughs> Kenobi. The Jedi Anakin did not survive Order 66. Well, you know what I'm saying, though. I know, I know, I know. Yeah. Anakin survived as Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Mm-hmm. Yoda. Ahsoka. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much and, all we know for sure about it in the modern canon, right? And, yeah, I think that's it. It's so the fact that we've got this legitimately legendary character alive and now the destination of Mando's quest is exciting in a way that is difficult to impress, difficult to express. Yeah, extremely excited uh, for that. We cut back to the recap. We still have a recap to finish up here, Spencer. Back with the Frog family. We're pretty close. And baby Yoda being a good boy. He's such a good boy, Spencer. He's playing with the frog baby. Mm, who's grown quickly so, yeah it grew really fast if now but we don't but we don't know right because we don't know if it's a, such a small point but she i think she's probably hatching multiple of these eggs so that could have been one that that was hatched earlier but point here is that baby yoda was able to transition from i want to eat these things to oh i understand now mm-hmm. this is the baby and treating the baby so sweetly in the water and when Mando pulls Baby Yoda away, saying, we've got to go, Baby Yoda starts pitching a fit. He wants to stay with the frog people, Spencer. Mm-hmm. Now, given what we know about Baby Yoda, and given we, how we assume that he's probably communicating, I bet he was having a nice conversation with his new little frog, with his new little frog baby brother and did not want to be pulled away in this moment by, by, by his dad. Probably. He was giving him some, some, some very knowing coups. Yes, very knowing coups, some very knowing touches. It was an elaborate conversation where I'm sure they were discussing higher order politics and the working of the, of the New Republic. And Daddy comes in and just yanks him away. Yep. Back at the Razor's Crest, 
Mando turns to the Mon Calamari and says, I gave you a thousand credits. This is the best you can do. Where the fuck is he getting a thousand credits for? And presumably he had a thousand credits before he got involved with Bo-Katan. I could see Bo-Katan giving him a thousand credits. Could have happened off screen, but he had to have had these credits before because he made the deal with the Mon Calamari before he even knew Bo-Katan existed. Yeah, and I love what the Mon Calamari did with this ship. It is quite literally being held together with string. Yep, uh, the Mon Calamari seems nonplussed at, at Mando's complaints. Inside the ship, Mando puts Baby Yoda down, looks at his ship repairs, which I'm going to say are pedestrian and maybe even a bit organic. Hey, 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 Mando asked, can you fix it? And all that Mon, Mon Calamari said was, no, but I can make it fly. That's all he guaranteed. That was his offer here. Yep. Inside, there is a squid that seems to be walking around. Baby Yoda sees it a little concerned. I kind of had the impression it might be some sort of like poison squid. It starts to approach Baby Yoda. Mando, whoop, kills it. Um, quick, quick reflexes there. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I got to ask. Uh, I... When I was first watching this, was a little bit confused with, with how much they were building up and focusing on this. Was this an intentional plant, or was it just an aquatic creature that got in? I Good question. Because of the buildup to it, I kind of thought that it was just something that found its way inside. That's where I'm defaulting in the end, because I don't think we've been given any other grounds to assume that some kind of assassin squid has been placed inside this vessel. Assassin um, squid. There's a phrase I never thought I'd hear. That's what I'm here for. I'm turn a phrase. <laughs> but what it ends up being is Baby Yoda's lunch. Yep. Yep. it tells Baby Yoda he knows where he's taking him finally, but it's going to be a bumpy ride. And he says this just as Baby Yoda is slurping down the rest of that squid. And we are at the end of the episode. Spencer, any closing thoughts at the end of the recap? I think, I think this is a very solid episode just because of how it not only expanded the lore the show is working in and finding out that, Man- that Mando is actually part of essentially a distaff, highly religious, zealot group of Mandalorians, but also then working in major canon characters and showing how the show can work within those in a way that doesn't feel forced. I mean, Bo-Katan is just not, it's not like she's being forced in here for the purpose of serving Mando's quest. They're just kind of overlapping briefly. She has her own goals. She has her own desires. And Mando's just briefly working together with those in a way that they may meet again, but it's not necessarily necessary that they do. Same thing potentially with now his quest to find Ashoka Tan. She's doing her own thing. She's on this other planet. We don't know why, but she's a destination for his quest in a way that I like that it feels like the Star Wars universe feels alive, well, and functioning rather than just simply orbiting one character, as if it's all just serving his particular goals and whims. So I like this episode quite a bit, other than his complaints that they've made Beskar too damn strong and Mando's weird charge down the hall. I love the Imperial officer character that we had and showing the zealous dedication that the that Moff Gideon's Imperial Remnant apparently Long exhibits too. The Empire. It's a powerful line and powerful moment. I like... I mean, I'm now starting to you know, merge into nostalgic moments of the episode, but this is a really good episode. This is probably my favorite episode of the season so far. Yep, me too. And it sets a lot of great moments to come. I'm glad we agree on that because it's my favorite one too. And I think a large part of that is because we're excited that it's going to jump into the expanded universe. I'm not quite sure how deep, but at least we're going to get some background. And, you know, we did get something in this, in the expanded universe that was not previously in canon, we got a question answered, which was, you're five years out from the Return of the Jedi, is Ahsoka Tanu alive? Seems like the answer is yes, which, woo, let's party. <clears throat> I'm excited about that. Um, okay, let's get to best line of the episode. Spencer, please nominate 
all of the lines that will not be best line of the episode, and then I will tell you which one it is. Okay, I got a list. Um, again, I'll give you plenty just to annoy you, because I know you already picked what you're going to do, but I do enjoy the Mind Calamari's opening line of, fix it, nah, but I can make it fly, which really proves relevant once we see what he actually did with this ship. It is perfectly atmosphere-capable, but it will never be pretty again, at least from the look of it we have at present. Um... I enjoyed that line we talked about it, where others with Beskar have been through here. The emphasis on Beskar, the careful answer about not knowing who the Man- what a Mandalorian is necessarily, and yeah. setting up the moment what's going to come about the fact that Mando wears Beskar, badass as he is, has permanently put a target on his back the entire season, the way we've clearly not seen the end of yet. Um, Bo-Katan's intro. I am Bo-Katan of Clan Kreese. I was born in Mandalore and fought in the Purge. I am the last of my line. And you are a child of the Watch. The Watch? Children of the Watch are a cult of religious zealots that broke away from Mandalorian society. Their goal was to reestablish the ancient way. It's a great intro, and it's a powerful moment of just shifting what we understood about the show's canon. I really thought that they really took an aspect of the Mandalorians we've seen before, of them being just religious, code-based warriors, which some writers have emphasized to a high end, and made that the bulk of how they operate. And now to see that, no, 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 it is an aspect of a group in a larger society that we just haven't a chance to see yet is fun and exciting. It again just shows that how broad the Star Wars lore is and how there can still be little niches that we just haven't discovered yet. Um, uh, Bo-Katan's later line about there's something I need of Underworld Mandalore, something that was once mine. They know where it is, and soon I will, so will I. Regardless, we're taking the ship of the battles ahead. And then her, you know, changing the terms of the deal and ending it with this is the way. Again, uh, the motivations of the character, the whole aspects of Mandalorian society, we just had not really had a chance to see on the show. And we're now learning through Mando himself. Like you said, it's like he's a child who's finally actually getting access to the greater world of knowledge. He's previously been, been living in a room in a cult, and now suddenly the internet is here. It's fun to find out. And then, let's see here, uh, two more. Uh, the entire exchange between the captain of the ship, the Imperial officer, and Moth Gideon is great and powerful and interesting really? and really? ends with the very powerful line of long live the Empire. We really haven't had that kind of Imperial-focused mantra or line in the same way as like, the, may the Force be with you. And now having that kind of line got one. Yeah. said with such gravitas and such power by characters that really mean it, it's fun to have adversaries that you take seriously. I think we've talked before, but that's something that I don't think the new films ever did very well, where they never really give us an opportunity to see the First Order as something that was a legitimate threat, as anything other than somebody that would almost be more laughed at rather than ever potentially Whoa. viewed. Whoa. Sorry. For I, real? I, it, had, much... it had the triple Death Star. Yeah. That it's not something of... to laugh at. But, but I'm not talking about the tools, I'm talking about the characters. Husk, okay. for example, was the main person we ever had as a face of the First Order. And was Husk ever someone that you ever took seriously or found a legitimate threat or someone of capable ability? No, I mean, I, I, I didn't. I, I I thought he was kind of thrown in. To your point, and we're going to devolve, and I think it's totally okay. Um, he was no Grand Moff Tarkin. No, um, and he was not. But and, I didn't think he. Were, I thought Snoke was the, the the head of the First Order. But he wasn't the military head. I mean, like you look at the example of you know in the Legends lore, even in the films, the Imperial officer corps that was running the day to day of the Empire was an impressive bunch in service, obviously to a bad genocidal cause. 
but they were professional, capable, skilled soldiers in a way that could be at least acknowledged and feared and respected. Like Thrawn is the classic example of the quintessential yeah. Imperial officer. Wish in they a way, with Thrawn. We'd never got to see among the First Order. The closest we had was little brief moments, like the commander of that dreadnought at the beginning of the second film, the old, Imper- the old Imperial veteran, carrying himself the same kind of gravitas we see in this officer. But they were the exception to the rule. Seeing that kind of classic Imperial officer category of competence, of skill, of determination, I like having someone that I can view as a credible threat in a way that I never could with the First Order. How much, how much of it um, stems from the fact that the new Darth Vader was the guy from Girls? Didn't help. Didn't help. Didn't, it didn't help at all. It, it, <laughs> it, also didn't help, it also didn't help with his characterization of where they yeah. took her out with this characterization, which could have been interesting, and the idea of essentially an angry teenager who was trying to find his place and working through his anger issues. Yeah. Which was interesting on a personal character note, but gave us nothing to view as interesting about his Wasn't cause scary. and what he represented. Because it was so personal to him. It was no longer the face of Darth Vader being the face of the Empire in the same way. And he was we never, never really imposing. got that. Never really imposing. Yeah. Uh, I thought Snoke was a little scary, and that's why I, I did like that they brought the Empire, but Emperor back. I know we can quibble with it, but I, I like that they brought him back because at least we got a character where it was like, oh shit, like at least that's somebody to be scared of. Um, but anyway, that's a digression. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> we went way big, down big, in the rabbit hole. Um, last, I think you had one, one more. One, Go ahead. one last one. Take the foundling to the city of Caladan. That line you just did. Finding out Ashoka Tan. Gotta be on there too. Which one are you gonna um, pick? Uh, best line of the episode. It was always gonna be best line of the episode. This is probably uh, more of a runaway victory for best line of the episode than we haven't had in a very, very, very long time. Best line of the episode, Mandalorian Chapter 11. The heiress, take the founding to the city of Kaladin, yeah. the forest planet of Corvus. There you will find Ashoka Tanu. Tell her you were sent by Bo-Katan. Thank you. Your bravery will not be forgotten. This is the way. Woo! Man, as you've said, for best line, best line not only needs to be a good line, it needs to give us direction for the show or, or fall very much within the line of key themes and key character motivations. This is setting the direction the entire show will operate on from here. Hell yeah, it does. I, you know that, woo, that I, I let out the Ric Flair. I yeah. let that bad boy out when I heard Ahsoka Tano down. I'm sure you did. I'm going to break the seal a little bit here. If you do not want potential spoilers for future episodes i'm not going to talk about future episodes but i am going to talk about things that were available out in the media when this episode was live they're a little bit spoilery if you don't want to hear them do you don't want to hear them turn them off wait wait wait, if you don't want to hear it skip ahead for a minute okay now i'm going to devolve um we knew through the media, through like Entertainment Weekly and what John Favreau said um, before the season started, that we were getting Ahsoka Tano and that Rosario Dawson was going to play Ahsoka Tano. Mm-hmm. So I was waiting for it. I thought we would get her probably about mid-season. I had no idea that we she would be introduced through the character of Bo-Katan. And that those two that like that to indicate that those two were still sort of in cahoots and were on the same page. I thought, I thought if you're going to tell us, hey, you're going to get Ahsoka Tano, who's going to be played by Rosario Dawson, we got it in probably one of the most surprising ways we could. So shout out to the show now, for doing that. And I had heard too that this was going to happen, and I would have lost money on this because of how big of a character she is, how important she is in the lore, how much she is just formed her own essentially media merchandise line and empire with how, yep. how popular she's been with the fandom that she would have been tagged, you know, 
closing moments of the last episode is setting up the next season. I did not think they would have the confidence about what story they want to tell to introduce introduce you before the mid-season moment. Yep. But yeah, it got me so excited that I was Ric Flair. I was Ric Flair around the... (laughs) Woo! Woo! Ahsoka. And my wife did not understand why the hell I was yelling in the back room. Um, But I'll tell you what it did do is the introduction of the possibility of seeing Ahsoka Tanu on screen, just seeing her on screen, be damned how she's involved with the plot, does have me, Spencer, and I'm going to admit this to you for the very first time. The shows are, new episodes are debuting on Disney Plus on Fridays, but they're debuting at like 2 o'clock in the morning, so I'm getting up at like 6.30 and watching this episode (laughs) before work with a big tall cup of coffee, waiting for Ahsoka time. I was wondering why I keep getting text messages from you at like 7 each morning when an episode comes out. <laughs> I'm getting up early and I'm watching it before work. I wasn't doing that at the start of the season. I'm doing it now because they've got me that excited by the introduction of this character. I, I think that leads us naturally into nostalgic moment of the episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's a lot here and I can breeze through a few. But, I mean, seeing Mon Calamari on the screen and getting to spend some time with them is just great. They're a wonderful established species in the lore. Seeing Quarren on the screen a lot of it. I don't think we've spent much time with them in live action before. So seeing them, quite a bit of them in this episode was great. Um, seeing uh, to all this background about, about the Mandalore and the various codes of the Mandalorian people and the various differences between them. Seeing Bo-Katan on the screen in live action with a couple of the members of the Night Owl Order is incredible it's amazing but for me even even though she's not been as part as much a part of the lore is that i was focused on when i was growing up she's a much much newer character and when i started to fall off a bit in terms of my levy level of dedicated fandom knowing we're going to get to meet ashoka tano knowing we get to see a live action old world jedi on the screen on this show this show that we know would treat the order with respect and betray them with, you know, as they properly should be. How could that not win? Do you, do you agree, sir? hundred percent. Um, I think, you know, ha- having, Bo- I mean, Bo- shit, just seeing Bo-Katan could have been the best nostalgic moment of the episode Easily. of the Easily. entire season, maybe the entire series. But the fact that she then references Ahsoka and sends Mando along his merry way to go see her, uh, yeah, I think that's definitely nostalgic moment of the episode, oh. and it, it it is because of what you I like how you reference that that because she's this link to the old Jedi Order, yes. she's this link to this other part of the story that now is long forgotten to the vast majority of people in the galaxy. She can connect us to it, and it's something that we know. She can talk about Anakin Skywalker. She can talk about the fact that he became Darth Vader. She can talk about Yoda. She can talk about Mace Windu. It's awesome. Yeah. And I really hope that we get some time with her that she can she can talk about that stuff and connect parts of the story for us. Yeah, it's it's if you ever look at the timeline of Star Wars, it is a twenty thousand year history of the Jedi Order. It is that is that much of a just a colossal collection of lore and events and stories of heroism, of dark wars, of colossal galaxy changing events. She gives us a link to that complete lore. That is, that is just incredible to have on the show. And again, I was ex- in a way, I was never really expecting to have. I mean, Bo-Katan is, excite- is incredibly exciting. Yeah, exciting man. It's amazing to see that kind of length of the established lore. But to have a proper old world Jedi of this level of importance, of this level of passion in the fandom, 
presumably appearing live action at some point this season is flooring. I never would have expected we would get that. Yeah, really, really good. And um, it excites me because I and I don't know if they're going to do this, but man, wouldn't it be great to get a Bogotan series, like a live action Bogotan, like like let's let's fire up the Firefly, Spencer. Let's when, let's <laughs> let's do Firefly in the Star Wars universe with Bogotan uh, on her way to Mandalore how, how to many regain space, what is rightfully hers. How many space westerns do you want, sir, in the Star Wars universe? Many, many, many is the answer to that, Spencer. Uh, okay, any well, final thoughts on Mandalorian Chapter Eleven? It's gonna. It's, it has to be like a third runner-up, given that we have Bo-Katan and Ashokatano. But again, seeing seeing Imperial Officer Corps actually behave like Imperial officers is also nice to see too, and I think that deserves the credit from a nostalgia standpoint as well. Haven't really mm-hmm. seen that since pretty much the movies and the in the classic Legends books and universe. Oh and so, yeah, I don't think we've seen it really since Rogue One. Rogue One would be a good a good example of it too, but. I, Rogue One's an interesting example of where it's a Disney movie, but I still, because of when it takes place and because of its focus, I still kind of view it in the same light as the original films. Well, it had that feel to it. And they killed everybody in the end. Spoiler alert. So it wasn't <laughs> yeah. That wasn't very Disney. <laughs> it, it, it was a surprising outing for a Disney film. Yeah. Um, yeah, so go watch Rogue One if you haven't watched Rogue One. I highly recommend it. Um, if you haven't seen Solo, don't watch it. Okay. Um, <laughs> we saw that live together. Oh, God, it was bad. Um, okay. All right. Chapter 11, we wrap up the heiress. I had a lot of fun doing this one with you, Spencer. I have a feeling that we're going to have a hell of a lot of fun on the back half of this season. I, with how confident they are going about each of these episodes, I don't even know what to predict anymore. It's going to make for a very exciting way they close out what I assume is going to be the back three of the arc of this season. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Spencer, I enjoyed it as always. Thanks everybody for listening. This is Mangum Talks TV on our coverage of The Mandalorian. You can check it out on Disney Plus and go to mangumtalks.com to listen to Mangum Reads with Spencer and BJ. Mangum Laughs with myself and BJ. And I think we're going to recitate Mangum Talks Hoops with my buddy Levi at some point in the future. Check it out at mangumtalks.com. Thanks everybody for listening. See ya.